Welcome to Go Get Great, the podcast for aspiring entrepreneurs and ambitious small business owners. I'm your host, Brittany, owner of Brittany Miller Socials and mother of three. Go Get Great is all about helping you make life and business work together. You'll learn about the fumbles that helped get me and my guests to where we are today so you don't have to make them. So come join the journey with Go Get Great. Today is a good morning. I'm very excited to be talking about self-care and mental health for entrepreneurs and the career ambitious with Dr. April Endell. So Dr. April Endell is a black woman and licensed psychotherapist with over 11 years and 10,000 plus hours. That is a lot, by the way, of deep dive healing work with the amazing clients all around the world. She's the creator of the Every April, a psychological spring cleaning course for women, and is also the host of her own Apple rated podcast, Do I Need Therapy? Popular topic, I'm sure, uh, where she talks openly, loudly, and proudly about mental health, love, and life, as well as the process of therapy and the strengths found in asking for help. She's really passionate about serving women and women of color and empowering them to develop the skills required for long lasting positive mental health. Dr. Andel provides virtual therapy as well as mental wellness support through her mental health masterclass and meditations. And she's based in Miami, so much sunnier than Canada right now, but she travels the world for self-care, community, and connections, and she's looking for her forever home. She's recently been in uh, African city, the town of Cape Cod, Nairobi. Did I get that right? (laughs) Cape Town. Cape Town in South Africa. Yeah. Cape Town, Nairobi and Dakar. And in her spare time, she nurtures her plant babies to bloom, is obsessed with therapy memes on Instagram and takes long road trips just to binge Afrobeats podcasts and clubhouse conversations. So it is such a pleasure to have you here this morning. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you for inviting me. I'm really looking forward to it. That is a very impressive bio, might I say. (laughs) And I want to just point out that you're the first doctor I've had on my podcast. So thank you so much for being here. That (laughs) is fun. It is. Yeah. So I'm really curious what your educational path looked like to become a doctor and a psychotherapist and where kind of that passion came from. Yeah, absolutely. And that's actually a very large reason why I know I have over 10,000 hours is because so much of that is required (laughs) in the training to be a therapist. But I actually started out in international business and I minored in Latin American and Caribbean affairs and Mm -hmm. Spanish. So I started to realize a lot later that I just loved people and culture. I connected it later and then I have the business skills. So that kind of just worked out anyway. But then you know, a lot of things happened in the economy and the world and life. And I ended up switching careers. I was previously working in media and entertainment, um, right when like social entrepreneurship was hitting the waves. And um, I was at actually at MTV, uh, working in a different channels. And suddenly just everything blew up. So from that point, I knew my strengths and pins, but I didn't know what I was going to do next. And it was kind of a, it was a rough period, you know, really challenging And it reminded me of things when I was younger, how difficult there were quite a few things that were going on, but mainly it was just tough because my mother, she's a working mother. And then I had to grow up really fast many, many times. So between the knowing of my strengths and remembering how challenging it was when I was growing up, just being on my own, because I'm also an only child, I wanted to hopefully allow that nobody else feels that way. If I could prevent 
even just one person to not feel alone or like they have no one to talk to. That's why I'll do this. So I found um, a school in Florida, sunny Florida. (laughs) So that's why I'm based in Miami. It was very helpful. And I went through two years with my master's degree and I started doing trainings with families and individuals. And Mm -hmm. I was highly supervised, had my supervisor, then another team. And we were like intense with getting started. So that was two years of a lot of direct client contact hours, even as a beginner, but your supervisor and your team help you course correct to work really well with clients. And then after that, you have another several years to reach your doctorate. But a lot of people can just go with their master's. Yeah. So the whole process of courses. Oh, and I forgot to mention internships. And then you have (laughs) client contact hours inside of school. And then you have internships outside of school. And then when you graduate with your master's, you need more hours to be certified and licensed with the state. So it's a very interesting field and profession simply Mm -hmm. because it teaches you so strongly because of even just what it requires, because Mm -hmm. you are interacting with the public health, essentially. So everything is really high standard so that there is absolutely no harm to anyone, you know, do no harm. And after about seven years, this was my master's and my doctorate with all those little things in between. And you still had to work and survive, (laughs) you know, college life and university life. Finally graduated my doctorate and it was just glorious being able to be at that point. Glorious. I imagine. Yeah. (laughs) I was going to say, this is not a degree for the faint of heart. That does not sound like (laughs) an easy time. That is so correct. And that actually reminds me because half the time when we're in therapy, I call it therapy school, but it's it's university, you know, half of the time when you're going through that training and you're starting to recognize and learn and be trained on the diagnoses, you mm-hmm. end up thinking like you have half of the book of diagnoses <laughs> <laughs> when you're like studying it. Like I have that. Oh my God, I have that too. <laughs> and your friends are like, Ooh, and then crazy. <laughs> really funny. So you have a lot of self-discovery inside of the training and education first. And I like to say it breaks you down and builds you back up uh, even stronger. I'm really proud of the person I am. I have a friend, she went through a divorce. And then when she came out as a doctor, she was married to the love of her life. They're still together, but it was because she saw many different things inside of her previous relationship that weren't working. So we go Mm. through these actual life transitions and cycles actually with school, with our colleagues, and then supporting it with, um, you know, a little bit of more real life experience with our clients. It's, it's outstanding. Mm-hmm. And you're right. It's not for the faint of heart. <laughs> I was going to say, it sounds very impactful. And mm-hmm. I feel like I've talked on a few different podcasts that I've had about all the topics we wish they talked about in school. And I feel like there are probably yes. certain elements of the program that you studied that would be really helpful for us non-therapy school kids to like learn and have some <laughs> of those self-discovery moments. Mm-hmm. I think so too. I, I I actually also would extend that and say, I think there's a lot of things that we should be learning from like primary school that should be a part of actual schooling, uh, let alone, you know, going to university for being a therapist, but just basic things like um, how to make friends, etiquette, (laughs) how to manage anxiety, how to deal when you get angry or emotional, how to Mm -hmm. take care of friends and and how to be respectful to family. It's a lot of things. 
But inside of therapy school, we have courses like sex education, <laughs> sex mm. therapy. Absolutely. We have to study it. So that's, that's actually pretty fun. Um, and a lot of it helps enforce how we do couples work, but we just, you get all the fun stuff too. <laughs> so, nice. Yeah. It's a lot of really, like, good, really good things. I'm mm-hmm. very intrigued. And like, we won't talk about this a lot, <laughs> but can you elaborate a little bit more about what you do in sex therapy? <laughs> <laughs> sure. I sure can. A lot of times couples will come to me or to a therapist with intimacy issues. There's something that's not connecting, something that's not working quite right in the bedroom, right? And a lot of times we're starting to realize that it actually starts before the bedroom. And that's kind of a lot that you work out with in in regular like couples therapy. But when you're honing down on sex therapy, there's usually something in that intimacy that is challenging. So it could be as far as dealing with a partner who's had a previous um previously was assaulted sexually, they have to figure out how to get over that and be with their partner, be present and enjoy it. Somebody could experience the difficulty of having sex and it's actually a physical challenge, you know, pain or discomfort, something medically challenging. So you're working with them on figuring out the fact that a lot of times it is possible. It's just like experimentation and being open and okay with that. And then there's also the other couples who are engaging and just not engaging and it's not related to any of those things, let alone people who are uh, struggling with other illnesses, people who are struggling with hormone imbalance. And then you have the classic one where couples are dealing with uh, having kids, <laughs> young kids, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> right? Yeah. And they just, they're, they're losing the time. So sex therapy is really very powerful. It connects you back to the body because you have to connect to your body first and then ideally connect back to your partner and share with each other what you like, what you don't like, what is helpful, what gets you in the mood. The fact that intimacy is not just in the bedroom, many, many things. And then you do the fun things like toys and this lubrication and this bedroom (laughs) and you know you're you're entertaining the aspect that sex is actually it's really fun don't forget that so sex therapy means that we're helping people be guided on having difficult conversations about very specific acts or behaviors or needs in someone's sex life Hmm. again a topic that probably should be covered in school (laughs) i agree (laughs) one thousand percent absolutely Sex education is actually really vital, really, really vital. I think a lot of us would have been a lot more fluid or natural in how we connect to the opposite sex had we had really sufficient sex education. So, mm-hmm. oh, and also same sex because, you know, got the couples who are not heterosexual, A-okay, same, mm-hmm. same rules apply. <laughs> okay. I didn't realize that there were so many different aspects of, you know, psychotherapy and all those things. So what is your specific focus area? Do you have one that you do more often or one that you enjoy the most? Yeah, actually. So my specific license is marriage and family therapist. Mm -hmm. So I specifically am trained on relationships. It's relationships with couples, with um, family members. I've had a best friend pair. And then it's also primarily that relationship with self, really, really powerful, really very necessary. 
And what I'm trained in as a, uh, basically a relationship and individual therapist with the license of marriage and family therapist, I'm specifically trained on talk therapy part, the ability to talk things out with clients, ask certain questions, follow the client's language, encourage different possibilities, encourage different outcomes, ask what if questions not to induce anxiety, just to see a different picture find the loopholes that somebody's missing in the fact that they actually are already well on their way to a goal, you know, because this works, right? Then we Mm -hmm. have to give credit for that. A lot of different things. And we're trained on that talk therapy. The other half of it is really learning how to listen. We have Mm -hmm. had, I think I had two solid courses (laughs) just about listening, just listening. Wow. (laughs) Yes. One of them was called micro skills. I love this class because this professor was on point. She just made the book for it. She taught us about the aspect of all the physical behaviors and all the natural things we're able to do when we are properly focusing and paying attention to somebody else to let them know that we are properly paying attention. So micro skills is just what you did right now. Ah, yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Right. And then we're nodding our head right now. A whole class, a whole semester. Yes, we did. It was really, it was really fun. She made it fun. When you have couples where someone is talking and the other is not acknowledging through basic responses like interjects, I think there's something, I I, I can't remember the actual number, but it was something like that. Those um, couples are like 20 cent percent higher to have communication issues than couples who actually respond and interjects, even if he or she is over there talking about complete nonsense, (laughs) you are not understanding. Like, why are we talking about something that happened 10 years ago and is still bothering you? Have no idea. You're you're just at the sink washing dishes, right? Sometimes you would just fully not acknowledge it. You don't say anything, but we are trained to teach our clients to do that because it actually does make a difference inside of your entire communication pattern. Simple. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. I can see that. Difference. I get I get frustrated when I don't get those from him. <laughs> I was like, you're not listening to me. And he's like, I am. I was like, well, how am I supposed to know that? You're not saying Correct. anything. That is so accurate and on point. I've been there myself. Like, did you hear me? And they're like, yeah, I, yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, you got to tell me you heard me. <laughs> I am a therapist, you know. <laughs> you know, it's it's actually really um it's really powerful. But yes, Brittany, I'm telling you, an entire semester on just listening using micro skills. Fabulous, fabulous. Amazing. I <laughs> wish we could teach that to toddlers. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. The books in our field of study would actually tell you that the toddlers are actually always listening. They're always listening and absorbing. Oh. Therefore, that's why you have to work on really paying attention to your own actions, behaviors, mm-hmm. and words around toddlers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, maybe they're not good at, res- you know, response and being uh, being balanced and calm to things, but yeah, they're always listening. Yeah, they're, they're really good at ignoring you when you ask them to clean up your toys <laughs> or their toys. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. That's actually really funny. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, family therapy is a big part of what I do. I actually find it's really interesting. Post-COVID, I didn't have as much family therapy. I ended up getting a lot of individual therapy. You know, mm-hmm. COVID, it, 
it pulled down so many different illusions about mm-hmm. things that seemed important but weren't, you know, and then suddenly COVID made you really be retrospective and look at, okay, what have I made priority in my life? And oh my gosh, that's actually not what matters. Ultimately, what matters the most is, you know, your relationships, things like your health, your values, you know, what's important to you. So I got a lot of individual therapy because people started first acknowledging that therapy was okay. We were in a world crisis, world crisis, inside of crisis. Okay. Therapy is apparently more acceptable. And then look at it now, (laughs) you know, it's burgeoning and I'm really proud of the world for that. Good, good job world. You know, it's just one step closer to being, having less stigma around therapy. So that portion But what also happened is uh, it was just curious that I had less family therapy, but all to say that individual therapy can be just as powerful because you're still operating to change you and you are in the system of a family. So you change your behavior, actions, things you say, how you say it, like tone, right? (laughs) We're always talking about tone. Mm -hmm. When you change that, it will automatically automatically change the way the entire family operates. So it still works. I call mm-hmm. it family therapy for one or couples therapy for one. <laughs> it okay. still works quite well. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's really powerful, but family therapy just means that you maybe have an entire family system, more than one person. Couples therapy usually means that there's uh, more than one person, but a pair. And I'm actually getting new modern relationships of three and four you know, and they're coming in for the therapy. So that's, I had to go back to school for that one, but it's actually, it's very interesting, you know, no judgment, no bias. They come in with the same problems. <laughs> and then individual therapy is of course, um, just for some, for a single person. That is a lot more than I expected. <laughs> I'm actually kind of surprised to hear you say that your family therapy numbers dropped after COVID. I would have assumed yeah. that they would have Increase to time spent together without being able to leave the house. <laughs> I, I, I was I tell you. Yeah, I think my theory is, is that we had to spend so much time together unexpectedly at length. I think the individual people who came in for individual therapy, they needed that space to be on their own, to, mm. to have a little breathing room. So that's my theory. I feel like it's a strong theory. Yeah, it it worked out because ultimately how you have difficulties or challenges is how you respond to them. So Mm -hmm. really happy and proud of my clients for getting through. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I really liked what you were saying about how an individual can come in for therapy and how it can impact, you know, a couple or like a family unit, because I do feel Mm -hmm. that that's really important. And, you know, with all of the things that we have going on, everyone was impacted by the pandemic mentally, financially, and all of those things. And I feel like not to focus in on one segment, but I feel like entrepreneurs probably felt that Mm -hmm. maybe a little bit more because we are already a very isolated community in the sense that we usually operate our businesses by ourselves. So we were even more isolated than ever before. And I can imagine that that impacted everyone's mental health in kind of a a different capacity. Did you see a lot of? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like an extra layer when you're talking about the mental health for entrepreneurs, it's an extra layer and you nailed it. One of the biggest things is isolation. We're always end up starting up and growing uh, on our own. 
it is extremely challenging when you start to do that. And then you recognize that in today's business world, you have to do all the things a lot. It's a lot. So when the world went upside down, of course, it makes sense that it was challenging for entrepreneurs, let alone the worry, the anxiety, the stress of how I'm going to make my dollars when everything seems to have shut down with, with any ability for spend, you know, mm-hmm. and for me to earn an, a living and an income. Like I can't imagine what the, you know, the actual brick and mortar stores were going through at that point in time. So it, it's deep, it's deep. And you have to be able to rely on yourself. That's the only way you grow a business is if you trust that you at the very core can handle, can manage, can figure things out, can grow and um, move to the next level. Got to take care of you. Absolutely. Yeah. I would like to talk about that a little bit. And then I do have another big question about how entrepreneurs know if they need therapy, but for starters, (laughs) can you, can you help us redefine self-care? Cause I feel like there's a very big media stigma about self-care being bubble baths and wine (laughs) and like chocolate. And, you know, I'm not really a huge fan of any of those things. So (laughs) what is self-care and how can we help do it in a way that's good for us? Oh, I love that question. And that's so funny because I love all of those things, all (laughs) of those things, which is exactly why it's called self-care because it actually relates to yourself. And I think that's what's been going on because what one person finds as self-care is completely not going to be what the other person finds because they're they're in different stages of life they're different ages they are in different family systems let alone somebody who's working a career aiming to be ceo one day versus somebody who's happy just being you know a manager versus somebody who's owning their own business there's so many mixes and matches and that's not even people's personalities right <laughs> You know, Mm -hmm. there's going to be the people who rage against the machine of self-care being a bubble bath, (laughs) right? And there's other ones who are going to love it very, very much. But ultimately, to me, self-care is whatever fills you back up, whatever renews you, whatever refreshes you, whatever allows your mental and emotional state to maintain a balance. That's self-care to me. Because when you're talking about good mental health, you shouldn't be too low. And you also shouldn't be too high. A lot of people forget that. Uh, There's this whole thing about, you know, I just want to be happy. Uh, You know, just happy. Can't you just be happy? Happy, 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 happy. (laughs) Happy. (laughs) Very lovely emotion. We're so happy when we feel happy. That's great. But happy is actually a high emotion. It's hard to maintain being there. So Mm. I talk to my clients about emotional independence. We already know when you are feeling low down and you're going to the points of like feeling really depressed, like so much anxiety that you're shutting down, like panic attacks, things like that. We know that that's too low and you have to build up and be really solid. You have to build up to feeling less down, less sad and more able to handle every day. And then the high is when you're going too fast, you're you're overthinking too much. Maybe you're experiencing excitement and it's, and it's going too high and you have to bring yourself back down. So low to high in emotional independence is aspects where you're figuring out coping skills that are also self-care. So what's going to help you by the end of the day feel just a little bit less sad, right? And then when you're too high, 
what can you do by the end of the day that's going to help you balance back to content, calm, peaceful, satisfied? Hmm. That middle ground right there, to me, in my practice, where I teach my clients, that's the the baseline of good mental health. Okay. I like that. I've never heard anyone say that you kind of sometimes need to bring yourself back down from that high point, but that makes a lot of sense because that is, it's also an emotionally draining place to be too, right? So yeah, I like that. And you mentioned as well that, you know, happy is a nice state, but it's not the state that we can live in perpetually which I feel like is really key because you're right. Everyone keeps striving for this and striving for this and then they hit it and then it doesn't stay. And then they feel like they did something wrong. Mm -hmm. And I feel like kind of one of the big things about that is, is that happiness wouldn't seem as good if it was our constant state of being. It has to be Mm -hmm. just kind of one of those things that we experience for shorter periods of time. Mm -hmm. That Yeah. Yeah. You touch it. You, you, you touch it and then you cherish it and then you come back down. So that's why they have things from long into ancient times like breath work. You know, the East Indians brought yoga, all kinds of things. You know, uh, the Chinese, they have so many aspects of like um, physical movement. The one we, we're familiar with the most for relaxation is called Tai Chi. They all come together to bring the body back down and essentially reconnect the mind to the body. And that's where that whole mind body connection, it was, that's the whole point of why we do those activities. So yeah, it's, it's very necessary. I like that. Now for self-care, I know you're like, whatever makes you happy and things like that. (laughs) But I know as a mom, after I became a mom, rather I felt like I couldn't answer that question when people Mm -hmm. asked me, they're like, Oh, what do you do for yourself? What makes you happy? And I was like, I I just, (laughs) I don't know. Like we live in such a constant state of survival mode. I feel like when you first have kids, because you know, you're lack of sleep and you, you don't know what you're doing in all, in all honesty. Mm -hmm. So how can you, or what would you suggest to help women that are in that state or even men too, because I know transitions to parenthood is hard on men as well. Yeah. but how would you help people come back to themselves when they're in that state? I would, I often have to teach clients that they need to recognize their emotions. Like what is actually happening? Can you identify it? Can you put your finger on what you're actually feeling? And, you know, my husband is driving me crazy. The baby won't stop crying. Those are not emotions. <laughs> Those are just <laughs> what's happening. So mm-hmm. I feel frustrated. I feel exhausted. I feel hopeless right now. Whatever that is, you identify what that emotion is because it's going to help you connect and understand what's going on. Mm -hmm. And the next step of that part, that process is just acknowledge it. You don't have to fight the emotion. I think this is absolutely key to good mental health. We have been trained, you know, like, don't cry. You know, don't feel sad. And and that's the first thing I tell somebody, like every guy I date, I'm like, don't, we're not going to do that. This is this is not how we're doing this, <laughs> you know? No, I will cry if I want to. It is my party. I will cry if I want to. And the reason why um, it's important not to fight those feelings is because usually there's a reason why you're feeling that way. Mm-hmm. And you have to allow yourself to understand that, ah, oh, okay, the baby won't stop crying. This is why I'm so exhausted. I feel frustrated and I'm hopeless right now. This makes sense. It allows you to have another level of peace 
you know, like, oh my God, I feel so misunderstood right now and, and so on and so forth. You have to self-validate, but to do that, you have to know your emotion. So that whole process is necessary. And then once, just like I said before, the close of that, you know, what I call the emotion recognition practice is if you're trying to identify three emotions in that moment, regardless if they're up or down, like negative or positive, if it's mm-hmm. up or positive, how by the end of the day, do I bring it back down to a balance or maintain that feeling? Like, you know, how do you feel calm today? So what can you do by the end of the day to maintain the fact that you feel calm? And that's a good state. And then of course, it's the opposite with the negatives or down things. I feel incredibly frustrated right now. What can I do by the end of the day? Even a small thing that'll help me feel even just the tiniest bit less frustrated. I'm gonna watch cat memes all day. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm gonna go get my Starbucks. Uh, I'm gonna go for a drive. Um, you know what? I'm gonna tell my husband that I really need to just be held, and he should just not talk during that and just hold me. You know, whatever it is, just small, small steps um, can help. And that that's that's just the emotion recognition. That's just one thing. I like that. Okay. I think that that's mm-hmm. a really good piece of advice. And as sad as it is to say, I feel like a lot of adults are at about the same stage that toddlers are in learning to identify <laughs> their emotions. Yes. And I speak for myself here too. You know, there are certain days where I'm just like, ah, uh, and I don't know why. Mm-hmm. And it's because I'm not mm-hmm. stopping to do that. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's always important. We are complicated beings. I mean, just our nervous system alone is just this marvel masterpiece of bundles of um, chemical neurons and hormones and you know all of it connects down to our muscles and how we are responding to like seeing a bee in our face that to me is outstanding mm-hmm. how is that possible and it's not too much to accept and ask that that entire masterpiece that is your body your mind your brain it just needs to you know be understood that it has different states of transition one of those states of transition are emotions and it just happens that that's what we feel almost all the time so you acknowledge it don't fight it um, and try to address whatever that is that's a good 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 start for hopefully having um, uh, more connection to feeling calm balanced and content so self-care is kind of one of the the big pieces that I feel like a lot of people need to maybe take a little bit more seriously, but I feel like a question that we ask ourselves internally a lot, but is not necessarily verbalized is the title of your podcast. Do I need therapy? <laughs> and I know this was a question that I asked myself a lot and I asked my partner too, when we were going through relationship struggles and we actually just published an episode recently talking about our experience with uh, co-parenting and couples counseling. Yeah. That was really good. Excellent, uh, so, excellent episode. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so for those people that are kind of asking themselves this, but how do people know whether the answer to the question, how do, or do I need therapy is a yes or a no? Well, the very first one I usually say is if you're asking that question, period, just across the board, you, you may likely need therapy. <laughs> Even if okay. it's just a question that pops in your head, it's possible. It's possible. So, you know, that's my little humorous joke of, of the first <laughs> way you can catch it. But other ways is times where you're noticing that you're not coping, meaning that, you know, there's a stressor in your life and you manage, you get through it, 
in an ability that allows you to not be have added stress, not be more stressed to the stressor, stressor and still able to handle your responsibilities. You also notice things that are happening in body if you're just not feeling well. I particularly, whenever I'm not in good mental health, my body tells me. My mind actually doesn't tell me. My body tells me. Um, one example is you during therapy school, there are moments where you have to go really hard. And no, it was never anything about being overwhelmed by clients. It was just everything that was expected of us, you know, papers, practicum, work, and then we have to show up to present a case or an article, whatever it may be. It was a lot. And my hair started falling out. <laughs> it was like, wow. oh, okay, right. <laughs> and then another time, <laughs> my um, my skin, it just wasn't happy. I had like large patches of, I don't know, whatever was going on. Just my body always responded um, and told me like, okay, we, we need to slow down now. But other people, it could be the exact opposite. Like their emotions are going haywire. And a lot of times, um, whenever this happens, my anxiety sufferers, those who are sensitive to anxiety, they often feel it first. And unfortunately, anxiety sufferers, it seems like they also feel lit it on both ends, both emotionally as well as physically. And, and that's very, very challenging. So you're noticing things like um, not being able to sleep, not being able to feel rested difficulty connecting to others, um, self-isolating behaviors, sadness, of course, anger also pops up in there. So like frustration or, or um, irritation, um, excessive tearfulness where you constantly feel like you're crying or that you need to cry or want to cry. Uh, there's many, many different things. And when you're noticing what those things are, once again, because you've slowed yourself down to stop knowledge what you're feeling, you can kind of see when you are okay versus when you are not okay. Mm -hmm. The problem that most people have is that they don't admit it, <laughs> right? Yeah. They don't admit it. And that's the very first thing that you have to do. Just like AA says, what's the first thing you do? Accept that you have a problem, essentially. Mm -hmm. So that's, it's just, it's just a, it's a very large process. But the funny thing is that it's so easy to do because it's addressing what you're feeling, maybe talking about it, and then recognizing that this it's not forever. So how do I get help? How do I ask for help? That's when you know that you really need therapy is when you can't do all these things on your own. You don't see that there is a solution and just the challenge of how do I figure this out? If you can't seem to figure it out, sometimes that means that, you know, we're, we're just, we're blocked. So you're having those things. And I know I'm talking a little bit more, um, abstracty but when you're when you're coming back you know of course that would be other things as well as recognizing if you're in a depression if you're experiencing anxiety or anxiety attacks if you're losing the norm of your eating patterns like if you're eating too much or too little if you're sleeping too much or too little if you're not enjoying the same things that previously brought you pleasure you know eating um, playing a game going out sex if all those things are not hitting, that usually means like a depleted process of, you know, how your brain is firing. So those are like more of the more physical, more specific symptoms of what tells you that you may need to go to therapy. But a lot of times the clients that find me, the process is actually more internal. It's just, you know, I, I can't, 
I can't figure out how to, how to feel better by the end of the day. I can't talk to my husband. I can't talk to my wife. I don't know how to connect with my kids or my kids are driving me crazy. And I, I wish I was a better mom, just things like that. And then of course, with couples, you know, arguing, fighting, feeling disconnected and, you know, not being able to understand each other, all kinds of things. So it's legion of the things of that could be necessary of why you need therapy, but only, you know, when you've essentially crossed the line, when something is dysfunctional, when something is no longer working like a relationship or a, a goal that you're trying to achieve, whatever that may be, feeling stuck, uh, feeling like you can't control your emotions. And then of course, the most difficult one or two is when you are using substance, alcohol, drugs to feel better, to feel up, to go down and sleep. When you're doing that excessively, that's another one. And then of course, the most difficult one is when you feel like harming yourself or somebody else. If you're suicidal, you're understanding that not only do you imagine these different scenarios, but you're actually planning it. You need somebody right away, right away. So it's, it's, it's a lot of different things. I was going to say, I mean, that is a lot. And I feel like, I mean, obviously I've been to therapy. We just were talking about that, but I feel like there Mm -hmm. were a lot of situations in my life previously where I've experienced those things and Mm -hmm. I just thought it was normal. So it's nice to have a bit of an eye opener to be like, oh, okay. I probably could have sought out help and I would have been able to help remedy that situation much earlier with hopefully fewer negative side effects of dealing with whatever that was. Yeah. The things that I started realizing about myself recently is that my body also does tell me when I'm stressed out. Uh, I mean, Mm -hmm. my brain does too, but it's a constant level (laughs) of stress right now, you know, being a new entrepreneur and having, I have three, well, three under four technically, but almost three under three. Um, and my, my (laughs) eye starts twitching. I feel my oh, yeah. eye twitch and I was like, yeah. oh, okay. We need to like take a step back here. Cause this is my body's way of saying, we just can't handle this right now. Yes. I have the eye twitch too. When I get stressed, yeah. me too. <laughs> and that's okay. That's okay. Cause I love the body. It, it tells you, it's like a warning system. It's telling you something is not working. Something's not right. Let's get ourselves taken care of, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, that's great that you recognize that. And you essentially found your way to help. It's excellent. Was it helpful? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I found therapy <laughs> super helpful. I wish I had done it sooner. Uh, so for those people that are, that are listening and they've maybe self-identified that they have some of the, this, how do we call them symptoms? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, yeah. the symptoms that you've just outlined, what is the next step? How do they mm-hmm. go about, you know, seeking out therapy? Um, that is a really great question that should be simple, should be so easy and simple but it's not. <laughs> that is so unfortunate. So um, the idea is that when you realize that you need therapy, you should be able to utilize your insurance or go to your, uh, what do you, you have something, you have a system, your health system, right? Mm-hmm. To being able to connect to a, a doctor's office and being able to sh- let them know, like, maybe I need an annual physical because I'm not really quite right. And I may be depressed, whichever. And the doctor is supposed to help you, whether it's your PCP or a general practitioner, and then they would refer you to a psychiatrist, or if they have experience, they'll, they'll work with you right there themselves. And that becomes the beginning 
just to know that maybe perhaps you have a diagnosis of depression or generalized anxiety or bipolar or whatever it may be. It mm -hmm. kind of starts around the medical. However, you can also start at the therapy. And that's another thing. Again, you should be able to go to something that you have available like insurance or a health system and meet directly with a therapist easily. But the challenge is that connection, that system is completely broken on, on both sides. And if you are able to make an appointment, sometimes it's weeks, even months in advance. There's no way that you're able to meet a need immediately, oftentimes. But that's usually the process. And then you would pay accordingly with insurance, get a copay. It's a simple thing. You show up at the office and it's an easy start. But unfortunately, it just it just isn't like that, which is a, why a lot of therapists, at least in the U.S., don't take insurance because the insurance comes in as a very difficult middleman and makes everything very much more complicated. I want to give you a really straight answer, but that's hard. <laughs> the first thing is your insurance, um, your healthcare system. But the other way is you can ask a friend, you know, and you'd be surprised. There's a lot more of them than you realize are actually in treatment, essentially, you know, ask a friend if they know of anybody. Sometimes that goes quicker because then they're in already with their therapist and then they can be and say, you know what? I have a friend. She's interested in therapy. Do you mind if I refer her to you? And because you're there, she's able to, or he is able to see right there on the calendar to fit them in. Sometimes that's a quicker way. And if you're a student, you should be able to locate student counseling services on campus. Like you're paying all that money and student counseling is one of those things you should yeah. be able to access. It should be available to you mm -hmm. at any college or university level. So okay. go ahead and utilize it. You're, you're paying for it already. Trust, <laughs> you know, so that's another way. And um, I always recommend my parents to remember that you, when their kids are in middle school, send, you know, help them know that they can always ask the teacher to go to the nurse or the, or over here, we call it the EAP, but there's like a special teacher designated to help students um, who need a little extra attention and care. Tell your high schoolers to go to the guidance counselor. Sometimes they actually do have counselors on site. And when they're in university and college, tell them to go and check out the student counseling. All along that journey, you're adapting your child to being able to recognize that whenever they're feeling a certain way, there's usually a service for them. So find it, ask for help, look out for it, seek it whenever you need it. That's really you know part of the process. And the new thing is um, that there's a lot of therapy available online. And it started out real rocky. <laughs> like, <laughs> is this really therapy? Online therapy? Does this really work? And I specialize in online therapy since 2018. And I still remember my professors who were far esteemed ahead of me looked down their noses and like, what do you mean you specialize in online therapy? <laughs> and I was like... <laughs> Yeah, that's what I do. I had to like stand firm. And lo and behold, two years later, I was not only there to state like, yeah, see, I told you, I was like, I'm right. See the whole world. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's, it works. So yeah. there's a lot of platforms out there online that um, are open to therapists working with them as a cohort, as a collective. And mm -hmm. then they just connect them to people who are looking for the service. There are fabulous 
therapists out there that are on those sites that are available. They know exactly what they're doing. They're highly trained. Excellent, excellent. And there are other therapists who are not, unfortunately. <laughs> you know, you go yeah. to a new hairstylist, it's like a 50-50. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's like that with therapy sometimes. So you have mm-hmm. to know what you're what you need and what you're looking for when you arrive and, and throughout the process of like the first several sessions to feel out if that therapist is right for you. But any of those options hopefully gives you a little bit more uh, direction of how to find uh, a good therapist and a good service that would help you get to a good place of good mental health. Ah, no, that was really good. I didn't even think about going to my doctor and asking for a doctor referral. I did a, a Google search probably three years ago when we were first starting having relationships problems. And I looked at a few websites and I just felt so overwhelmed. I didn't know what to do. And, you know, at the time he was against therapy, so we didn't end mm-hmm. up doing it. But when we finally did go to do it this time, I kind of had like a mutual acquaintance that I was talking to and they recommended somewhere for me to go and look. So we've actually never think. met our therapist in person either. It's all been virtual <laughs> therapy through InnerWorks. So if anyone's Yay. listening to this and they're, they're local, I don't know what InnerWorks' coverage area is, but if you want, I'm happy to refer you to the lady that we've been seeing and we did it through the, the InnerWorks kind of counseling company. So there are a lot of other ways to do it, but yeah, just if the noise of not being sure how to find a good therapist is what's stopping you from going to therapy, then I am here to help you try and figure that out. <laughs> not that I am an expert, but I have seen such great benefit from it that I would love mm-hmm. to kind of share my knowledge. And I'm sure April, you would be more than happy if people had questions out to you about that as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. Actually, I have a whole service that is dedicated so I can just one-on-one they can ask me questions. It's just the, my discovery call. I hone in very specifically on you and what you need. So you just, uh, we start out by just introducing each other. Like, hi, who are you? <laughs> who are you? You need that a lot when you have a good therapist and um, just, just introductions and then sharing with you why you're needing therapy. And essentially I can be a good listening ear and I can let you know if that's ideal for you or not. Normally it is because um, normally it's like uh, interpersonal problems, challenges with anxiety, depression, or stress. And when you're doing that all together, it's important to be able to just feel out the fit essentially. Mm. So it's my discovery call. And I actually created a, a discount code for your, mm. for your whole audience. Okay. It is GG great 2023. I'm just looking at it now. I'll put it in the show notes though, for anyone that wants to use it for sure. And I think that that's really, I think that's really important making sure that you're finding the therapist. That's the right fit for you, because if you don't feel comfortable opening up and being vulnerable with that person, you're probably not getting the most out of therapy. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, there's different caveats to it, but you have to feel out the good fit. So one of them that I always um, try to recognize is, or and, and guide people with is the fact that when you first start therapy or even restart therapy, sometimes it's just going to be a little uncomfortable. It may be uncomfortable. So you kind of have to sift through and understand, okay, is it my discomfort or is this just not a good fit? And, and kind of moving through it in that way. But at least with um, discovery call, what I do is I'm making sure that I can answer all of the questions because there's so many questions about just therapy. Like, how does it work? What do you need? Where do I start? What do I ask for? You know, all those things. So that's what that's there for. But I, I don't know of any other therapist that does it quite like that. 
-hmm. but I'm sure many other therapists, they have discovery calls in a different fashion or free consultations. And you can look for those too by almighty Google. Google is good stuff, (laughs) (laughs) you know, so. Okay. That's really good. So we had talked about this a little bit earlier, but I just wanted to circle back in case you had something else to share, but, uh, what are some of your self-care practices or what do you do to pump yourself up on a bad day? Ooh, oh, I got so many things for me. I, I really wish I could change this, but Netflix got me ages ago. I am a goner. <laughs> so I love Netflix because I love stories and storytelling and those streaming platforms, they know how to do it. Yep. So I uh, lost many, a many a day on Netflix, <laughs> you know? So I love that. I greatly enjoy puzzles. I wish I had a big gigantic table and I could do like the puzzles in person, but because I travel so much, I just have one on my tablet. It is mm-hmm. the bomb diggity. I just can just relax and release and, and just mindfully do stuff. I also like solitaire and okay. uh, memory games. So things that like exercise my brain, uh, mm-hmm. digital, cause I'm very digital. I love that stuff. I walk almost every single day of my life. I, I need that walk starts out with my morning walk. It is so necessary just to be at the base of moving my body. So whenever I just need a breather or just a moment, or just to talk to God and pray or call a friend, I I go for a walk. And I specifically do that so that when I'm walking, it's also, it's not just for exercise, it's productive. Mm. And it helps me even elongate the walk. So sometimes I'm calling a friend that I haven't talked to in a very long time. So a 15 minute walk is next thing you know, it's 45 minutes, which is really good for my body. Mm. If I have the time and it's just a little bit of extra way to stay engaged and connected to the exercise and yet be able to disconnect because you're doing something else. I don't, I don't know if that makes any sense, Mm -hmm. but that's how I relate. I love to read music, music, music. And my biggest thing, uh, I can go on and on because I literally have a very vast amount of self-care things that work, including the bubble bath. Don't forget mm. the bubble bath. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I also really, really love to dance. No, not on a pole, even though I totally respect those pole dancing women. <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> but I actually love to dance. I love to ballroom dance, Latin dance. Oh. And now I've learned Afro dances as well. Mm. So it's really weird. Nobody really knows. I've never posted it. I don't really share it a lot, but I am like a walking dancing with the stars. I got my rumba, my bachata, my salsa, my tango, my waltz. I know uh, merengues. And now coming from Africa, I also know semba. I know cumbia from South America, from um, Brazil. And I also learned kizomba, which is my absolute favorite. It's just a very fun, funky tango, essentially. It's it's the origin of tango, actually, Kazamba. Okay. It, it's a huge passion for me. It's my ultimate joy that I always like level back at. I always work hard to level back. <laughs> but it's the thing that makes me the absolute most happy besides love. Mm-hmm. I love to dance, love to dance. And Kazamba combines my favorite new genre like reggae will always be my favorite of course but afro beats with kizamba and i am just i am elated happy and everything <laughs> is fixed you know so i encourage people to find what that thing is that mm-hmm. it thing it can be art it can be writing uh it could be 
um, training. I have a client, she trains puppies like from very young age. And she's, she talks about it like a little kid. It makes, (laughs) it's what makes her happy, you know? And I have another client. She just raises bamboo trees. Who who knew, right? She, that's all. She just grows different kinds of bamboo trees. She Mm -hmm. loves green stuff and she has her own nursery. Um, she, so she just followed her passion. And when I'm around other dancers, other people who like get it, it's like, what do you mean you're going to a workshop on Saturday at 12 for the whole day? I don't understand. Like Saturday is a day for rest and to chill out and be in front of the TV. What do you mean you're spending $120 for this workshop? That's only like two hours with who is this? What do you mean you're traveling across the world to go to that dance conference? (laughs) You know? But other dancers, they understand. So also finding your community really helps a lot too. I can talk about this all day. I'm going to bring that, rein it in, rein it in. No, I love it. I'm actually, I I would love to call <laughs> myself an avid dancer, but I actually have not been able to dance much in the last three years being pregnant and all. Yeah, um, I But I, I 100% okay. get it. And you're talking about being in the studio for three hours a day. And I was like, oh, pangs of envy over here. I would love that. I miss the studio so bad. Um, fun thought or just a fun thing for you to note tomorrow is actually international dance day so you should like post on social media if you do that like a dance video do like a throwback that would be so fun you are so right I have so many it just lives on my phone it's crazy I just I don't talk about it but I feel like this is the year that I'm going to talk about it so thank you that's a wonderful idea you're welcome wonderful idea. okay (laughs) I want to ask one more question before we wrap up so you had listed a few of your recent travel destinations but I'm curious where your favorite place to travel is oh my gosh that's so hard that's so (laughs) hard Brittany it's like asking what's your favorite food like today what's my favorite food today (laughs) (laughs) yep I've traveled to a lot of places on the Western hemisphere. I haven't reached reached the Eastern hemisphere yet, but mm-hmm. on the West side, I've been ex- extremely fortunate and blessed to have gone from like Lima, Peru to Medellin and Cartagena in Colombia and Mexico city. And I had a stint in Guatemala in a city called oh. Antigua, you know, and I jump over and I can go to Lisbon and Madrid and Amsterdam. But when I hit the continent, I cannot tell you how deep that was for me. And I landed in Cape Town and I was like, oh my God, this place is great. Wow, it's so beautiful. Nelson Mandela, I can feel you in the air. I love it here. (laughs) Cape Town is completely, almost entirely coastlined by the ocean. And it's just beautiful. It's a beautiful place. Uh, It's also framed by a huge mountain called Tabletop Mountain. So it's this weird combination of this ginormous earthen <laughs> mountain and then the beach mm-hmm. you're just like okay that's weird and random but it just works it's very cool it's beautiful lots of culture and you're seeing how the city has worked really hard to move past the days of apartheid there's a lot of history that you can really check out and engage in and the food oh my gosh the food because there's a lot of like east indians and asians and they brought their food to cape town uh-huh. you can get anything you want Oh my gosh, the food. <laughs> as well as uh, just the African food as well. It's it's so good because Cape Town is this mixing pot of like every culture in the world. It's like New York mm-hmm. City. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I loved it there. But 
as much as I loved it there, I went to Nairobi and I was like, oh my God, <laughs> this place, this place is amazing. City, the earthen, like the mud, the dirt is like, just like in the movies, um, like in uh, Wakanda, a lot of it was filmed throughout East Africa, and oh. I think in, in Kenya. And what's really unique about that area is the earth. It's this bright red orange clay. And when you get there, you're just like, wow, it's for real. And I don't know why that moves me so much, but I love being there. And these people know how to dance like nobody's business. Yes, there is salsa and bachata and kazamba and merengue in Nairobi, Kenya. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Loved it there. And then I was like, I'm coming back. And then I went to Dakar and I was like, all right, I love it here too. And <laughs> Dakar, <laughs> Dakar took my heart. Dakar is in Senegal. It's way up in um, the North of Africa, but it's on West Africa. It's a West African con- okay. country. And Dakar is the capital of Senegal. And when I got to Senegal, I don't know how this serendipity happened, but I happened to be in Senegal in Dakar during World Cup when Senegal was the last African country to be in the competition. The city was crazy. The whole country was just insane, insane just to be a part of that joy and excitement and and like anticipation. And it was just, it it was amazing to be there, right there for it. Um, So I still cheered for US, but being in Senegal, (laughs) I was like, okay host country host country but Dakar is right on the right on the coastline coast it's amazing sunshine because it's in sub-saharan Africa so mm. sun uh heat warmth and then the entire length of Dakar is basically coastline so the beaches oh. are there are outstanding and then you have the Atlantic Ocean that create waves so mm. the water there is really special and you have this massive amount of people who love um, water sports and Dakar is known for their surfers and mm. um, there's it's not really a thing that people realize that there are black surfers out there in the world these guys kill it kill it you should see them it's outstanding and then those surfers who are like pros and professionals they come from all around the world to be trained by these surfers native native Senegalese surfers that um, teach in Dakar it's amazing. It's a beautiful city. My favorite part is a monument called the African Renaissance Monument, which is this man holding up his child in one arm. And in the other arm, he's got his arms around his wife. It's Aww. this huge statue, like the Statue of Liberty. It's high above the city. And every time I passed it, I was just so moved. So that and the culture and the people, people are beautiful, tall, dark-skinned, gorgeous people women fashion like nobody's business in these african garbs and you know makeup and the hair and the 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 accessories beautiful culture and it's just an incredible muslim country i was also there for ramadan i'm talking a lot it was just beautiful i it was wonderful so i highly recommend dakar and you have to learn french (laughs) that's the one thing so Canadians, uh, I know you guys got that on lock. Some of you guys do, but that was hard for me. But I, but I did. I, I picked up some, and it's just it was a lovely city. So I have to think. I think it was Dakar. Yes, yeah. it was Dakar. Yeah, it okay. kept me. Mm-hmm. I've never <laughs> even heard of Dakar before, and now I want to go. <laughs> you have to go. It's it's stunning. 
It's like after, you know, two or three years of, well, I mean, a little bit more like three and a half, almost four years for me of not really traveling much because of pregnancy mm-hmm. and pandemics and sure. all that stuff. Sure. So it's like, I really want to go places this year. So I'm asking where your favorite places to travel are. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Travel clearly is one of my absolute ultimate self-care. So, you know, alongside mm-hmm. dancing, I recommend it. The thing is that if that's you where you haven't been able to get out or you don't know how to get out or you literally can't get out because you're raising a young family, right? Mm-hmm. These places are not going anywhere. <laughs> They're going to be there for whenever you're ready, whenever it's the right time for you. I promise they will still be there. All right. Well, I just want to wrap up and say thank you so much for being here today. And there's one more thing that I wanted you to mention, if you don't mind. I know you said that you have a keep depression away checklist that people can access. Did you want to talk about that for a second? Yeah, absolutely. Um, During my journey for, I, I forgot to mention, I traveled to 12 countries in 12 months. I worked really hard to do an actual remote year and I was successful. I actually did 13 months, but along that way, as incredible as it was, there was some hard moments. There were some tough days. And even as a therapist, I still feel it. Even as a therapist, I still have my mental health sensitivities. Mine in particular is depression. So when I feel lost or lonely or stuck or not knowing which way to go, uh, depression is what takes me over. I have to work really hard to always be aware of where that is, you know, how deep is it? How far away is it? How how do I need to take care of it and tend to myself? So I created this checklist along the way. And I just, just kind of added small things that you can do by the end of the day with a nice little structured checklist to just go down the list. So I created that for myself, for me, people, me being a therapist with a therapist, also struggling with depression. I'm exactly like you and it's okay. So I created this checklist to get me through those tough moments because they did happen. And um, then later I was able to create it into a full resource and it's actually the most popular one. So wow. it's just there for you to um, download. You can just head out to my site. It's aprilandell.com, just my name.com. Oh, actually, you can do KDA, aprilandell.com slash KDA. It's right now on the homepage, but you can check it out that way too. And it's always available, really quick one pager. You just print it out or put it on your digital tablet or anything and just, you know, small steps, simple things that you can do to help keep depression away, keep it at bay and enjoy the, the balance for the longer run. I love it. And I will put the link for that in the show notes as well so that you guys can access it easily if you'd like to. So once again, April, thank you so much for being here today and having such a candid conversation with us about, you know, (laughs) your struggles and your story and, you know, some really amazing tips and tricks for entrepreneurs to kind of help us figure out what self-care is and kind of put that into practice and identify whether or not we need therapy. And the answer to that is probably (laughs) yes for everybody. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Entrepreneurs definitely experience many of those. And if you're a mom and an entrepreneur, you can probably take about 50% of those boxes. So yeah. So it was Mm -hmm. absolutely fantastic having you on today. Thank you so much. My absolute pleasure. And I, uh, you know, well wishes to you and to your audience. Every single one of you are beautiful. Thank you for inviting me. (laughs) Thank you so much for tuning in to Go Get Great. 
I hope you found some useful tips and tricks that can help you make life and business work together. If what I said resonates with you, please share it on social media and don't forget to tag at Brittany Miller Socials so that I can celebrate you for taking those first steps towards achieving greatness. Remember, success doesn't happen overnight. It takes dedication, hard work, and a lot of spirit. So don't be afraid to dream big and go after what you want. Keep striving for greatness. You get closer with every step forward, no matter how small they may seem. Until next time, go get great.